All right. I'm excited for this message today. But first, we've got to pray. Thank you, um, Heavenly Father, for your beautiful word. I thank you how rich in revelation it is. I thank you for your Son, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here today. May you fill each of us, fill us afresh with fire, fill us afresh with hunger for you. And Lord, I just pray that you would, again, open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts to really receive what it is you want to impart to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, my first question is, are we still feeling loved up from Wednesday? Anyone? It was Valentine's Day for those giving me blank stares. <laughs> and I, um, I know it's not something we often willfully celebrate. Um, you know, I think sometimes it has that ostentatiousness about it. Maybe it can be a bit disingenuous, especially if that's the only day we tell the people we love that we love them. Um, but it does date back a fair way, looking into it. You know, St. Valentine, we all know he was martyred for his faith, so he actually um, wanted the Roman soldiers to be able to get married, so he, he, he got martyred for his faith and for his stance on marriage. But of course, today it's well known for its more commercialised nature. And while I don't personally celebrate with gifts, it just gave me food for thought as this day came up. And I thought, the other side actually highlights just the simple importance of love. Because the scripture says if we don't have love, we have nothing. And it says, you know, um, we can have all the gifts and all those things, but if we don't love, that doesn't come from that place of love. We might as well not do it. And I thought of a baby, you know, a baby can have all its basic needs met. It can get the food, it can get the milk, it can, it can get its nappy changed. But if that little baby does not have a, a, a connection, if that baby does not feel affection from its caregiver, that baby has, studies have proven, that baby will simply fail to thrive the way that it should. And it's exactly the same for us. First John says, God is love and we love because he first loved us. And so that means we were born because of love and to be loved by God and to love him in return and for that love to flow out to everybody else. Yeah, sermon done. If we just did that, we'd be all good. But, you know, looking into a bit deeper, I read a quote about Valentine's Day and it was a real positive point of view. It said, Valentine's Day is about sacrifice, love and honour in the face of overwhelming and dangerous odds. So remember St. Valentine who was willing to give his life in pursuit of love and marriage and ask yourself if you would be willing to do the same for those that you profess to love. So there was this other side that demonstrates you know, passion. Valentine's Day de- demonstrates desire and hunger. But the word in this quote stood out to me was pursue, actually pursuing those that we love. So I'm going to redeem this day back for the Lord and talk about you know, building and sustaining and being in constant pursuit of God in return because we know he's always constantly pursuing our hearts. And it is true that we've come into a covenant that is like a marriage. God says this relationship we we now have is, is building for longevity. Like I want this relationship with you to be sustained not just through the age here on the earth but for eternity. It's almost hard to fathom how God does that in us here to be sustained throughout eternity. But comparing this to marriage, even at the beginning, when we can have the best of intentions, which I hope we all did when we got married, 
um, we can see over time how those relationships can sometimes fail to thrive as well. And one of the most obvious reasons, I think, some marriages just we can just become lukewarm. We can just get a bit complacent. And the word tells us as well that relationship with God on our end can also become a little bit lukewarm. And I know this from Revelation because when I first read Revelation and it talks about the churches, that hit me in my heart. When I started reading, I was like, God, I know this is not just a word for the churches back then. This is a word for now. This is a word for every season and every church. And the word he said to the Laodiceans, he said, I know your works, but I know you're not hot and you're not cold. I can see that you're lukewarm. And he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And I realise that's the first time we ever see God's stomach turned. He says, I can't stand it. I can't stand seeing your lukewarmness. It actually makes me feel sick. So be hot or be cold. And he says, as many as I love, because I love you, I'm going to rebuke and I'm going to chasten and I'm going to try and get you back on that narrow path. And he says, the antidote to this is be zealous. Be hungry. Get your desire back. Repent. Turn back to me. Because he says, behold, I'm standing at the door. And if anyone hears my voice and opens it, I will come in and I will dine with you. So he's still got that invitation. He's saying, I just want to be close to you. He's not saying that I'm pushing you away. He's actually inviting us in. Then the Lord says, I think here, he's saying, you know, where's your fire gone? Why is it just diminished to a single flame? And the church of Ephesus also got another stern warning. But they were enduring persecution. They had really good works. They were doing good deeds, and yet God could still see their heart. They hadn't returned to their first love. So I'm not saying that's for any of us here, but I am saying we need to be aware of it. And we need to make sure that we constantly, individually, are pursuing him and are on fire for him and have a love for him. So I'm going to use the literal and physical ways we keep a fire burning and compare that to the spiritual of how we can keep our own fire burning on this journey. But before I get into that, I just want to acknowledge the goodness of God and and make it clear that we don't have to light the fire. He's already lit the fire within us. It's just our job to keep it burning. Matthew 3.11 says, I baptise you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. So John the Baptist is saying, Jesus is going to baptise you with Holy Spirit and fire. So he says, you've already got it. And we know this because when we come to salvation, we know something's changed. We know our desires have changed. Suddenly we're reading the word. We're hearing that voice of conscience in our head say, turn this way, don't do that, turn from that, walk this way. We go to meetings hungry for God and we get excited thinking on scripture. And and then the preacher's preaching that scripture and we're like, wow, God's speaking to me. You know, that's the kind of fire that gets us excited to then go and share it with others. But like the parable of the sower... We do have an enemy, and he wants to dim that fire. He wants to send sickness and trials and testings and difficulties to just pull us back a bit, yeah? To just do anything, just to steal that little bit of fire, just to dim it down. So I think the first strategy we've got here to keep it burning for the Lord is we need a fuel source. We need a constant fuel source to keep the fire burning. And, of course, that main source that we have is the Word. Wood today is going to represent the Word of God. And first I want to mention those quicker fuel sources that you might think of like those smaller logs or kindling. And I think of this like the quick word of God we can get in the way that we listen to sermons, in the way that we hear teachings, in the way we hear testimonies of the word. Um, Even our Bible study nights can be the inspiration to get into the word more deeply. 
but we can't be sustained on that long term just alone. You know, these things are amazing. Paul was a great teacher and he equipped the church because this, this word of his can inspire, can encourage. Um, the word of God, in, you know, can be clarify confusion in, in certain teachings. It can, it can build us up, it can build the fire, but we need that richer fuel source, which is the, the, the red gum. You know, we need those big logs of fire. That means we need meaty time in the word alone. I've realized I need to be myself unpacking the word with Holy Spirit, spending time alone in the word to, to know and confirm what I'm hearing from teachings as well and be able to have that discernment. And acacia wood is one particular wood that's mentioned. Um, it's in Exodus. And so acacia wood was used from the structure of the tabernacle. It was used in the table. It was used on the altar of incense. Like pretty much everything was made from this type of wood. And unlike some other trees, the acacia tree was growing in the wilderness, obviously where the Israelites were. And so it was very accessible. It was strong. It was dense. It was resistant to, to water and disease. It was able to withstand um, elements like time and weather. And I think that I could make the parallel that this represents so much about the word. The word's going to last throughout the culture. As we heard in the communion this morning, it lasts all seasons. It's the only sure thing we can build our life upon. And God says himself, does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord. Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? That's in Jeremiah. And so I started thinking about this hammer. I'm thinking, that's like a court judge. You know, you think of, he's calling for attention in his word. He's, he's dictating rulings. He's striking the gavel for justice. And so part of our seeking in that word will be our willingness to surrender to his ways. We allow that hammer as we're reading his word to smash all resistance, to smash our consciousnesses. Did I say that right? Consciousnesses. Laid bare, you know, before a loving and holy and merciful God. And so I've learned that when I come openly, when I come willingly, when I come with a genuine heart saying, Lord, I know I'm not perfect, reveal to me what needs to change. How can I become more like you? Excavate my heart in this word. Actually show me where I'm at with you, what you want to refine. What needs to change? Sculpt me. Make me more like you. When we burn for that purity because he is pure, and when we burn to be changed because that's what he paid for, and when we, when we desire to be more like him because we've encountered how beautiful he is, that's when that refining fire starts to burn within us and it purges. And it's not always comfortable, but it's because we're beholding ourselves in a mirror. We're seeing ourselves in the mirror of the word and saying, I can't just call that human nature anymore because that's not who you are. You know, that's, that's the beauty of his word. But I also, in my journey, have realized I can't stop the pursuit of him when I don't understand something. And I've had many times where I'm sitting in this word going, I don't understand what you're trying to say. I'm just going to be honest. Sometimes I sit there and I go, I feel like I'm missing something. This parable I know has layers, but I'm not getting it, Lord. And I think this speaks so much to the mysterious nature of the word itself. It actually says in Colossians, this has been a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he says, I've revealed it, 
And yet, how come I feel like nothing, it hasn't been revealed in its fullness yet? Does that, you're in the court and the tension of it being revealed and yet you're still trying to walk that out. And I felt the key was Proverbs 25 too. It's, he says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but to search out a matter is the glory of kings. And we've been made royalty. So God hasn't, it's, I think of the word sometimes like a game of hide and seek, you know, that I play with my kids. I'd, I'd go and I'd pick a hiding spot, but I'm not going to pick a hiding spot that I know they're never going to find me in. You know, I'm not going to go hide in the manhole in the roof, although two hours alone does sound quite appealing. Um, but I'm going to hide somewhere where it takes just that little bit more time for them to find me, but not somewhere too obvious. And I think that so richly describes the word. You know, he, he says it's a mystery. He doesn't say you're never going to find things. He says it's simply been veiled. And you just need to come and unveil it. You just need to come and uncover it. You just need to spend a little bit of time here because it's, um, it must be fun for the Lord to actually watch us and go, ah, she got it. Took a bit of time, but she got it. Yeah? And so at first that would frustrate me because I couldn't understand the deeper things of God until I understood that he desires his children to seek him, to seek after his word. So now I'm asking questions to the Lord. All right, Lord, what does this verse really mean? What am I missing? What context do I need to research to understand this? What Hebrew word will unlock this particular scripture to understand it? How does this now apply to me? You know, I've had to settle in myself that I'm forever going to remain curious about his word and it actually pleases him that we go seeking after him and his heart. So that means, you know, we might have to read it in a different translation. We might have to turn the Bible app on our cars and our our kitchens and actually just play that verse over and over until something just goes, ah, got it. You know, we might have to get to know the context of a certain people group. But get curious. Get into the backstories. God really loves this. And I think at the end of the day, we're just following the footprints of Jesus through his word. If you find him each time, you've got it. Second thing is stoke the fire. So we don't always need to add lighter fluid to a fire, especially one that's indoors, but we are making a fill in fay kind of bonfire. Yeah, that's the kind of, we want to, there's going to be that, that effect that we're looking for. So that means we may have to add that lighter fluid onto it. And I don't think I need to ask you what happens when you add grease or lighter fluid or any type of oil to a fire, but I'll tell you a story of how I personally know And it's something Brett did, and he's not here to defend himself, so I figure it's the perfect time to share it. Um, But early last year, he cut an old water tank, huge, huge thing, and he put it in our backyard. And we've been putting things in it for about six months. And he thought that there were just a few empty containers at the bottom and maybe a couple of things the kids had chucked in. And then there were big branches and leaves and all sorts of greenage in the top. And so when it was time for it to be burned, this was in winter, he started pouring petrol, and he asked us to come watch. And as we get closer, he goes, oh, I think I've added a bit too much. Just, just go back a bit. And for me, that's a sign we've got to go way back, like way, way back. So we're like 10 metres back from this thing. And um, I got the kids, yep, into a safe position, and it all started off nicely. It was wet, but you could still see the fire starting to go. And then all I remember is just turning my eyes a bit and just seeing this fire go boom. Like, I've never heard anything like it. It went 
boom. And I've stumbled back from the shock waves, trying to get Harry behind me. Amelia's then run down the driveway screaming. I've walked out to come and get her. I've got neighbours coming out of their homes wondering where the bomb had dropped off. Fair enough. I had my neighbour as well next to me walk out and go, Brett did that, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, my husband did. We think it was some sort of can or something that was at the bottom. Anyway, it took a while to simmer it. It went, you know, metres in the air, it caught the tree on fire in the top. But anyway, I know what happens when you add something else into the mix. And it reminded me of 1 Kings 18.37. This is when Elijah is calling down fire. And he says, answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then I could imagine what that looked like because I've seen it. The fire of God falling, burning up the sacrifice, burning up the wood, burning up the stones, the soil, and licking up all the water in the trench. And I really feel that the Holy Spirit is like that lighter fluid is like that oil that brings the word of God to life, that gets that fire roaring because Holy Spirit acts on our faith. He acts on our belief and our trust in Jesus to bring manifestations of his supernatural power to his people. And I remember early on being told in the first six months, I think even of becoming a Christian, don't expect physical manifestations of God's power. Like you've got his word, that's it. That's all you've got. And that sustained me for a very, very short time because then I went seeking and then I started finding out people were having dreams, people were having experiences, people were getting healed. And I know I'd been healed, but when you hear it from a more mature believer, you kind of think, oh, maybe I, I don't know. But anyway, what happened was by pursuing those, those people's testimonies is it got my faith where I realized there was more. There was so much more that he, want, that he wants us to experience of him. And so if we want to see his power, I think we, we really need to focus on building intimacy with Holy Spirit. You know, it's that consistent daily pursuit of hearing his voice, of, of getting still, of praying for people consistently. Even if you didn't see the healing, it's still believing. No, I believe in faith that God heals today. That, that he will do what he said he's going to do. And I'm going to see it. I'm going to see the miracle come to pass. And it could even be just in prayer. You know, continuing to hold that joy. I know for me, I'm on year eight with Brett. But it's continuing to hold that joy and believe that God will act on those prayers. And he will lead him to salvation. And I'm more joyful now than I even was at the beginning. Because I believe I'm going to see it. And so I agree we can't live by a feeling, but those supernatural fires that happen, you know, those visions we get, the dreams like Amelia, she's never going to forget that, ever. She's always going to have that, that instant physical healing that we might receive. Maybe we see a, a demon cast out. Maybe we see someone come into the kingdom after years of prayer. Those moments of combustion where the Holy Spirit breaks through into the natural those are things we need to hold on to and pursue because they do increase our faith. And I think of the story of Mary. You know, we think of Mary being at the feet of Jesus and Martha's rushing around. And she was building intimacy with the Lord. She was learning from him. She was receiving teaching. She was being instructed by him. She had eyes focused on him. And then we have her brother, Lazarus. He dies. 
And where does Mary go? When she finds out he's in town, she runs and she's at his feet and she's desperate. She's saying, but I know you, Lord. I know that if you were here, that we would see your glory, that you would be able to fix this before this death happened. And then Jesus, the power, the manifestation of Holy Spirit, raises Lazarus from the dead. And what do we see next? What's the next scene that we see Mary? She's at his feet again. And she's pouring out that oil. And she's giving up her inheritance. She's giving up that year's worth of, of money that would have sustained her for her life. And so while we had her at her feet learning, now we've got this greater manifestation of intimacy. You know, because of that power that she saw, because of that, that miracle, because of that Holy Spirit move on her brother, it actually created a deeper desire in her to pour everything she had out to him. So we should be pursuing these things from the Holy Spirit. We only need to think of the burning bush, the pillar of fire in the wilderness, the consuming fire on Mount Carmel, the tongues of fire at Pentecost, like physical things people saw and physical things people experienced. Imagine the faith that erupted in those 120 people when they had the tongues of fire and 3,000 people saved in a day. And so a few years ago, this was my pursuit of God. I said, to God, you know, I'm reading your word, I'm praying, I'm, I'm hearing you. Um, I'd love to hear you more, but I actually haven't encountered you physically myself. And I remember going to a prayer night and, and there was a hunger in the room. You could feel it in worship. And the Holy Spirit moved and he moved upon me. And it wasn't fire, but it was certainly like electricity. And it was waves moving through my body, up and down, up and down. And I encountered Holy Spirit. And it was like purging. It was cleaning. And so it changed me. It changed me. So we should be pursuing. Don't ever feel like you shouldn't pursue the physical manifestations of his presence as well. Leviticus 24.2 says... Command the Israelites to bring you clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. He's like, he's inviting us here. He says, burn for me continually so that you can encounter me. That's part of it. That's part of the gift I want to instill to you. Very similar imagery, of course, to the parable of the ten virgins where the five got the extra oil. They're constantly getting that extra oil of intimacy with the Holy Spirit, but the other five were too late. They couldn't borrow from anyone else. They didn't get their own. So to sum that up, that section, we have to remember Holy Spirit is a person. You know, he desires to do the will of Jesus and the Father. He's burning to see people encounter him, encounter Jesus, to be saved, healed and delivered. So let's pursue that in faith so that that power can flow through us. Last thing is oxygen. Fire needs oxygen to burn. We know that without oxygen, fire simply won't burn. And you think of even how you arrange logs. You know, you don't stack them really close together because that pretty much guarantees your fire is not going to burn. There's no air can get between. And what this represents is we can't just have the word of God on its own. We can't just have all theology. You know, that's what the Pharisees had. We need the Holy Spirit to, to breathe on that word and bring it to life, to cause that oomph and that power and that revelation. But there's also another essential thing, and that is the oxygen. And oxygen represents the pursuit of the breath of God. It's the constant pursuit of seeking his face, not just seeking his hands or his power or his ability to do stuff, which is awesome. He does love his children. He wants to give us good, good gifts. 
and what he wants to give out. But we're actually firstly, I think this is the most important out of all three, is we're constantly seeking pure relationship, quality time with God, just to know him. And there's a promise in Proverbs that says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. And that word diligently in the Hebrew is not just the the pursuit of it, it's actually to look for early. So he should be the first thing on our minds in our time frame. It's speaking to him before we even get out. Once that foot hits the end, I know I'm out. (laughs) I need to speak to him right there and then and get get that right. Invite him into my day and say, Lord, I give you this day. Guide me, direct me, lead me, help me. Instill in me what I need to do. Speak to me. But it's also preempting wherever we go, before we go into the supermarket. Lord, if there's someone you want me to speak to, make it clear. Help me. I'm asking for your presence to be made known to me today. And I think of Daniel in this. You know, his faith wasn't built in the battle when he was facing those roaring lions. It's because he'd been consistently seeking the face of God to the point that when that decree did come and that decree said, you can't worship anyone, you can't speak to any gods, he said, this isn't even worth losing a day. I'm not even going to lose a day not speaking to God. I will worship him with all that I have and all that I am. Because Daniel knew that, that God is the oxygen that not only sustains the fire, it sustains the very breath within him. So I think what can be holding us back here, and it certainly did for me, is when we do go into that time with God and we hear nothing, or we experience nothing, or we feel like, you know, it could even go on for weeks or months. I know because I've been there, sitting in my room going, (laughs) reading, but not really hearing anything. In fact, I remember when I first started doing this and I was very heavily pregnant with Harry and I'm laying on the bed going, Lord, I'm just going to think about you. And I fell asleep. I fell asleep and woke up feeling awful, going, sorry, Lord. (laughs) But what did this teach me? This teach me, actually, that this time with the Lord is not going unnoticed and it's not doing nothing. Those hours that I have spent in in that time just alone were actually stretching my spiritual senses. They were stretching me and it felt so uncomfortable to grow. Sitting in silence before the Lord is not natural to our human bodies. It's not natural to our minds. Stilling my mind, stilling my body, thinking only solely, physically, only on the Lord just to be with him has been a real stripping of flesh. I'm not going to lie. But when that moment of breakthrough comes, when we actually go, I recognise the presence of God has just entered the room, he's worthy of every moment, every moment, every hour. I'll give a short example of this. It was just beginning of last year. I remember someone close to me was going through a tough time and I found out the situation and I felt sick. I felt sick finding this out. And I went into the prayer closet because I, I wasn't having peace. And I thought, Lord, I can't fix this, but I know you can. And so I went in, sensing the pain and the heartache surrounding that situation. I went in, I said, Lord, I'm going to give this to you and I'm going to declare scriptures that I know about this kind of situation. And I just declared and then I would sit and I would listen. I'd say, Lord, speak to me. Give me a word for this, this certain situation or for this person. And I heard nothing. And so I worshipped and I worshipped and I worshipped. And I said, Lord, just expose the truth in this situation. You know what's happening here and use it for your glory. And I also kind of said, Lord, I'd prefer it not to go that way. Like if you could just make it go that way, that would be great. 
<laughs> so that there was less pain for this person. There was a bit of me in the praying. But I spent a long time in that room and I heard nothing. But I walked out and I got down the hallway and then it hit me. The peace of God. Just felt it. Felt it come on my body. It stopped me in my tracks as I was walking. My mind was at peace, my body was at peace, and I didn't have a word, but I just had a bit of revelation drop that what I was fearing for this person was going to happen, but it was going to be okay. That was all I got. (laughs) And that settled it for me at that moment. I didn't go and tell that person that the worst was going to happen to them, but it was going to be okay. God just said, leave it with me. I've got this. And it did turn out about six months later that that certain thing did happen. But what happened with me is it wasn't my theology getting in the way. I wasn't trying to be at peace with the situation. It was the tangible experience of his peace that put me at peace. It was pursuing him first and allowing him to speak over that situation that brought me peace. Because I think the point of this time we spend one-on-one with the Lord is is yes in that moment but that should that recognition of his presence there should eventually extend out to other moments of our day you know we should be working towards recognizing here in that stillness and then when we're in a busy shopping center then we're in a birthday party actually recognizing him and when we go before we go and sit down and watch a tv show we actually hear him say "Uh, uh-uh, come spend time with me i've got something to show you that's when we know oh, we're hearing him We're recognising him. And I'm not there yet completely, to be completely honest. I want that. That's my pursuit this year. That's my desire and my hunger. But I really feel like we need to linger longer in that secret place. We need to really sit still with him and learn to hear him speak. We we need to learn that still, small voice because that changes everything. Because that's what David writes in Psalm 34. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. The Hebrew word for taste is to perceive, which means we're actually becoming aware through our senses, our spirits coming through to our physical man. We're actually now able to experience and encounter the Lord. That That's what keeps that fire burning for him through any circumstance we face. So in each of these examples, you know, fueling our fire with time and the word, Pursuing relationship with Holy Spirit, the fire can roar with power. But then finally pursuing that very breath of God, the oxygen that sustains us for the journey. That's what everything is underpinned by pursuit. It all starts with that fire, that fervent desire for him to encounter him. Setting our faces like flint every day going, Lord, I'm going to continue seeking you. Even if I felt like I didn't hear you that day, today's a new day. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to go after you. And I think... That's what the scripture says it will be fulfilled. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open for you. And so I really feel as a church, let's take that heart position into 2024 individually, but also together. Because I feel like when we carry the heart of God, which we will, it will happen. If we continue with those three things, we will carry the heart of God. And people will come in here and they will see that and they will be drawn to that. And it will lead people to salvation. I truly believe that. So let's pray to finish off. Father, thank you. Thank you for the deep encounters that are awaiting each of us, every single one of us. Help us, Lord, let the fire 
of your love fall upon us and burn away anything that has hindered us thus far into anything that's hindered us from seeking you or getting into your word more deeply. You desire us, Lord. You desire us. It is an unequaled love, unparalleled love. So, Lord, we just respond to that invitation and we invite Holy Spirit, draw us in. Help us return and enter into a fresh baptism of fire. Lord, may that revival come from us personally first. Lord, we come to seek you. May we come to know your character more deeply, your truth, your presence more clearly. I just ask, Lord, that each of us, that we would be more attentive to the divine interruptions throughout our day and help us to be more aware of your presence in our lives and help us to be still in that secret place and linger longer and to, and to really hear you. So, Lord, I just pray, may the fire within us burn passionately and in pursuit of you. Store up our oil for our lamps and may we be known as the church that loves Jesus first. Amen. Amen.